I counted my confidence as a swimmer to be the main reason that I was able to to win the races that I won. I'm not mm-hmm. super tall. I'm not super strong. I, I had very interesting technique, but I'm sure there were people who had better and stronger technique. So it, it, there was, you know, it played a big role in my career and my success. So why couldn't I help teach this to the next generation? So... This is episode number 73 with Caroline Burkle and Rebecca Sony. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, welcome back to Pursuing Health. I had the pleasure of meeting Olympic medalist swimmers, Caroline and Rebecca, or Reb as she's called, last year at the Mind Body Green Revitalized Summit. And finally, the three of us had the opportunity to sit down and record this episode for you. Caroline and Reb founded an amazing mentoring organization that pairs Olympians with youth to work with them on developing their mindset using the principles of positive psychology. You all have been asking me for an episode on mental preparation, and this is a great one. We dive into both Caroline and Reb's swimming careers, their struggles during the post-Olympic period, and why they decided to work together to create Rise Elite. We also talk about some of the exercises that they use themselves and with their clients to combat some of the most common mental obstacles. A little bit of background on each of them before we get started. Caroline Burkle is a highly decorated freestyle swimmer whose achievements include winning a bronze medal at the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games, as well as a gold medal at the 2007 Pan American Games. She swam for the University of Florida on an athletic scholarship, where she was awarded the 2008 NCAA Swimmer of the Year. A two-time national champion, Caroline also broke the oldest standing swimming record in the 500-yard freestyle. After her retirement from competitive swimming in 2010, Caroline went on to receive her master's degree in sports psychology and motor behavior. Rebecca Sony, a breaststroke specialist, also known as Reb, holds six Olympic medals, three gold and three silver, spanning across two Olympic Games, the 2008 Beijing Games and the 2012 London Games. She's a former world record holder in the breaststroke, and she's well known for her distinctive swimming technique. Rebecca holds a BS in communications from the University of Southern California, and she also has a certificate of positive psychology and is a certified health coach. Following their illustrious careers in swimming, Rebecca and Caroline both struggled with burnout and a loss of structure and routine. Eventually, they joined together to found the Rise Elite Athletes Program, where they use their unique blend of knowledge and experience to mentor young athletes in a variety of sports. A few quick reminders before we get started with the podcast. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. It really makes a difference. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. To check out my online training programs through Beyond the Whiteboard, visit trainwithjuliefouché.com. Finally, please remember that although I'm now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. 
So here we go. Let's get started with episode number 73 of Pursuing Health, featuring Caroline Burkle and Rebecca Sony. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Caroline Burkle and Rebecca Sony. And as we were just saying, we've been trying to do this for about a year now. So I'm so excited that we're all finally here. So thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. We're pumped. Um, so my first question, first I want to know how you guys met because you work pretty closely together now and you've obviously known each other for a while, but when did you guys first meet? <laughs> it's, a, it's like one of those questions that you know, but you're not really sure because the swimming world's like, woo! Yeah. Um, you really, do you yeah. remember the exact year, Reb? 2006? No. I mean, we became friends around Beijing, so 2008, because we were in the same um, Olympic Village, what, unit, housing unit, okay. <laughs> apartment <laughs> thing, like across the hallway. But before that, I just, I always remember, and Caroline, I know you know this, that my sister went to one of the select, youth select camps with Caroline Okay. Uh, when she was a kid, and she came back and was like, Oh, there's so many cool people, and I really love this girl, Caroline Burkle. <laughs> and so my sister like loved you, Caroline. Um, and so then fun. later on, I'm I eventually, you know, we met, we swam together all the time, and and now, yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's a good story though, because Rita was so awesome. She was totally <laughs> rad, and I remember her saying like, "My little sister is so fast." And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I guess that did happen. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so we became friends. And I think it was also one of those things where before that you see each other at meets and competitions. And Julie, you know how that is when you just go to different competitions and different appearances or whatever you do camps or whatever, and you meet people and you know people. And I think it's, it's cool. It's like 10 year anniversary coming up, Reb. <laughs> I know. Crazy. Wow. Um, how did you guys first get into swimming? Have you, did you both start really young? What was it like? What, was it pretty serious from a young age or how did it evolve for you? I was like diaper dip and then swam and then <laughs> uh, country club. We had a really cool pool in Kentucky uh, it was called Lakeside. So it was an outdoor rock quarry and it was Ooh. just the coolest place to go and play. And we spent our days there, like total pool rats, my brother and I. And so mm -hmm. I, I started swimming when I was eight and I didn't take it seriously until I was like 14, 15. And seriously, I mean, by saying I'm going to go to nationals and didn't go <laughs> when okay. I made it, <laughs> I was just, I was a late bloomer in general. Uh, my parents were extremely hands off, but they were just like, go do something, you know, like mm -hmm. we just want you to just do something and have fun with it. So my brother was the super serious one that like kind of pushed me, honestly, he pushed me more than I could push myself. He was always like, come on, like, you don't realize like, you know, as like a 10 year old, he would tell me. That. So <laughs> and he's younger. That. He's a, like a year and a half younger. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would say I was like 15 before I really knew that I could go for it. Um, and then yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> was there like a moment where you felt like college or the Olympics became your goal or where that became something that was reachable or something you were shooting for? 
I remember when Martin Wilby came to our practice, which is, he was one of the assistant coaches at Florida Mm -hmm. and he was my club coach, Mike DeVore's best friend. So he came to practice and he was recruiting some of the older swimmers. And I remember getting out of the pool and Mike, Mike looking at me and pulling me out and he was like, you, you need to focus because that's (laughs) going to be you. And I'm like, I was all over the place. And so he was like, you need to focus. And I was like, oh God, here we go. You know, and I didn't know what any of the recruiting process was. So that was like my sophomore year of high school. And then I really knew like, I want to go to school and swim and be on a team and participate and, uh, do all the team stuff. So yeah, that was, that was a wake up call for me. And then as far as the Olympics, I think that I went to trials after in Long Beach after high school, Reb, you were there too. Yeah, that was my first time too. Yeah. So 2004 and I got ninth and I remember not making it back and I was like kind of happy because I had to swim it again. But then I was kind (laughs) of like, that was like the first, like, yeah, like 400 free didn't make it back, but like almost there, but like, I know I can do it, but like, don't have to do it again. You know, (laughs) that was like the first wake up call that it could be a possibility for me and that I wanted to do it. So that's cool. What about you, Rebecca? Uh, so I started a little bit later. I was 10 when I first got on the swim team and I was following my big sister's shoes. She really loved swimming. (laughs) And so eventually, you know, our pool was a little bit, away from the house. So I, when I was younger, we would go take my sister to practice and I would just hang out in the car with my mom while she practiced. So I'd bring my homework and we'd go sit in the park and, uh, which was really fun. But one day my mom was like, we're kind of wasting time. You might as well get in the water too. And, uh, I remember the first day we were driving to practice and she's like, did you bring your swimsuit? And I was like, no, did you bring my swimsuit? I was a 10 year old. She's like, no. And she turned around. So I never had first day. Second day, I remember in my swimsuit and we were standing on the pool deck and the coach is like, okay, you know, 100 IM to warm up. And I was like, what's an IM? I have no idea. She's like, it's fly back breastfeeding. And I was like, what's fly? <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. I had no idea. How do you put on a swim cap? Anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, I really didn't like it at all. I kind of detested going. I would go, you know, go to the bathroom and go take a nap in the locker room and not come back <laughs> out. And I just didn't really understand. I didn't really like it. And I didn't really acclimate that quickly. But about two years later, two years into it, I really started to love it and started to uh, you know, really become close with the team and have that be, I mean, most swimmers will say this, that your best friends are on the swim team because mm-hmm. you spend so much time with them. And that really started to click. And that was when, for me, it, it became all about the hard work and, and that sense of accomplishment that comes from a really hard practice, like that kind of kicked in. Um, and from the beginning, I was a breaststroker, which breaststrokers are kind of a rare breed for swimmers. It's either you can do it and then you're good at it or you can't do it at all. Um, and so I'm, fortunately, I was good at breaststroke, but terrible at every, everything else. And so um, I, I started pretty early into nationals at 13, which, you know, I was last place, but I was there. Um, and I made it to trials, the same one that Caroline was at. And, uh, you know, I never really thought as a kid, oh, I'm going to be an Olympian, or I didn't really think about college either. It was, I was just so wrapped up in the day to day of how can I just work really hard today and today and the next day and the next day. And eventually, um, I went through the recruiting phase, went out to USC, which is what brought me from New Jersey to Los Angeles. And uh, it wasn't until maybe 
the year before 2008 that I realized, whoa, I'm the top junior breaststroker, which was my event in the country. And if I'm here next year, then mm-hmm. I'm on the Olympic team. And that was, <laughs> it was one year out and I was like, whoa, that, like, <laughs> my mind. you know, so that's yeah. the point when for me, it kind of became a goal or at least something, a possibility or the first time I ever really even thought about the Olympics as it pertained to me. So mm-hmm. um, I was kind of just following the ride and, and all about, you know, personal uh, improvement, little steps along the way. That's so interesting to hear from both of you that it wasn't something that was super competitive from a young age or even that you kind of got started, I guess, late. Um, doesn't seem late being 10, but still, <laughs> I guess for most kids, like I think about, you know, we had swim lessons when I was really, I can't remember what age, you know, kids normally start, but I remember going to swim lessons and, you know, the swim team already being very competitive with kids um, really young. And so it's interesting that, like, that you guys started late and that also that you had such an attitude about it where the Olympics wasn't even really something you were thinking about until you were in that more mature stage, which I think is different from like, I follow gymnastics more closely just cause that's what I did yeah. growing up. And there a lot of times it's like these really, really young girls who see the Olympics and then that becomes their, you know, driving force for doing the sport, which is I think mm-hmm. a very different approach. Yeah. Gymnastics, they for sure start super young. And I think it is cool, Reb and I have talked about that a lot, that we just enjoyed the ride. And I think out of a lot of our experience, we've been able to gather that, you know, and how Mm -hmm. that's part of like why we love what we do. Because it's like, okay, we didn't uh, like fly and die, (laughs) you know, like it was a steady growth and a Mm -hmm. longer process. And I don't know, looking back on it, though, it's, it's funny. Like I, sometimes I'm like, should I have taken it more seriously? Like, you know, when I was 14 and Rebecca said, you know, she got last at her first national. So did I, I didn't even go to my first. I didn't want to, I was too scared. I told coach no. And then I did, (laughs) I went to my second one and Rebecca, I did the 200 breaststroke. (laughs) My first national cut. Yeah. And it was in Gainesville at the university of Florida where I went to college. So I think there is something beautiful about just having that childlike mind for a while and just mm-hmm. being totally oblivious to the situation, but also knowing that you're doing it for your friends and having fun. That's so true. Do you have any favorite moments? I'm sure you have favorite moments, but what are like your top one or two favorite moments from your competitive swimming careers? Mm. <laughs> That's a lot. So tough. I, think, <laughs> I think some of my tops were the training camps before the Olympics. It's like, of course, the Olympics are all the glory, but uh, that first, you know, when you've just made the Olympic team and the whole team comes together and you're training together and living together and mm-hmm. it's only about a month long, but that that's always a really fun process where you're bonding with these new teammates who were former competitors <laughs> and now, you know, you're on Team USA, but it's not quite super intense yet because you're not at the competition yet. And so I loved the training camps. It was um, just really fun to it's kind of a reward for making the team it's like you get to come together and have a little bit of a retreat (laughs) before you hit the road retreat plus the the most most intense training ever yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. well it's actually like an interesting point because there's only a month between our trials and the olympics so it's like yeah it's really it is hard training but you're also like 
tapering or ready for so it's like an in between mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's the hardest training by any means but it's just like awkward like how can I just carry on what we've done already mm-hmm. uh so it wasn't like super super hard which made it even better it's like it was it was definitely an interesting experience all around yeah it's yeah those training camps are they definitely like spike your training and then drop it so right away we were in Palo Alto we went to Stanford for training camp in 2008 and I remember like the first four days were just hell (laughs) it was like (laughs) spike and I mean we were doing so much yardage and then all of a sudden they they do drop you and then it's nice because you get to taper and like we went to Singapore and you're swimming outside with like monkeys flying around (laughs) yeah so I agree with Rev that's honestly those are my most favorite memories are the camps leading up to it because not only is it just like a big retreat and a big group fest the entire time, but it's also, <clears throat> you really learn a lot about yourself and how you are a teammate in a different situation because we were teammates with our college teammates for mm-hmm. so long. And then all of a sudden you get to be around a whole new crew of people and you le- relearn your roles on a team and how to participate and who the captains are. And it's pretty cool. It's a really cool dynamic for sure. It's really fast. I mean, to, to only have a month to like reacclimate and figure all yeah. that out is a lot. Yeah. So how does it work like there? Once you all come together on this new team, you all obviously have your coach, your, you know, individual coaches. Are you all training together or is it like you're still doing your own training, but you're doing it in the same place? Yeah, there are, there are designated U.S. Olympic coaches Mm -hmm. so uh you're kind of assigned into a coach and if you're lucky it's your normal coach but for some people you know they they do invite personal coaches to come but they're not necessarily on the coaching staff they're just there to kind of advise and so uh my coach was not on the olympic team coaching staff Mm -hmm. but he was he did come and he was there and he did uh, talk to the coach that I did work with. And, you know, it, it was always a good meshing there. Um, and my coach, uh, Dave Salo, also trained us in a way that created a lot of independence so that I wasn't necessarily reliant on the coach. I was more um, able to understand what was going on with this new coach and their workout and what they were trying to do, what works for me. Hey, I don't really like this. Like, can I do this instead? And so it created a lot more independence where in the past I had been really reliant on the coach and just like, tell me what to do. I'll do whatever, like no questions asked. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think each one is a little bit different, but they do allow your coach, personal coach to come. Some personal coaches were in Singapore for our training camp and, um, it's definitely a tough thing to acclimate to a new coach staff just for a month. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an interesting thing, but I think they do a pretty good job of allowing people to, you know, really get the, whatever level of personal attention that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would like to give Reb a shout out because she is probably one of the best trainers I've ever w- witnessed or watched. <laughs> I remember being at uh, in Palo Alto and watching her just absolutely crush pace 50s breaststroke. Like, I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, we did. I agree. I think also it's interesting when you are going with different groups and different people and everything you get a different perspective, which I really appreciated. I know that I trained really well with boys in general, just because male backstrokers 
and female 200 freestylers in the 200 were the exact same pace and time. Mm. So I had a really good training group and they, they do divide you into stroke or middle distance freestyle sprints, um, distance, et cetera. So different coaches will have their hands on different things. And if your coach is there, like my coach, Greg Troy was also there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but he did allow me to go with other groups and to do different things. So the different perspective from that coach was really interesting. And it does challenge you a little bit because all of a sudden you're getting this new information that obviously is brand new, you know, whether it's a Mm -hmm. technique change or the way that they give a set or do pace or anything like that, which for people listening to this, like a set would just be, you know, if you're doing like four 200s or 1050s, things like that. And then pace would just be your splits and your times per length of that. Mm -hmm. Um, it challenges you because if it throws you off, you learn how to handle that difference, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there were days that I would leave practice, like sometimes in tears, sometimes excited, sometimes, you know, frustrated because I would have gotten feedback or things given to me that was very different. And if it hadn't been done to me before for the past X years, all of a sudden you're a month out and you're getting this new information overload and you're like, oh my God, right? And so, that was a really big learning experience for me and in a, in a positive way. I mean, none of it was crazy negative or anything. It was just like, oh, my gosh, like <laughs> I have to do these things now, you know, and so you really learn to like put your blinders on and stick to what you're going to do and communicate with your coaches. So that was a cool dynamic for me personally, um, just getting those different perspectives in wow. the camp. Yeah, it is a lot of information coming from That's different angles. Yeah, I never yeah. realized how much adjusting there yeah. was. And you think of like someone being at that peak of like going into the Olympics, you almost think of being in like an autopilot or like kind of doing, you've refined everything, but then to have some of these things that are different being thrown at you, obviously is just another sure. kind of challenge. Yeah. So. And also on that note, it's, I mean, there's like what, how many coaches read? Probably 20. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 10 to 15, 15 20. 20. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people it's a big (laughs) it is a lot though yeah thinking i mean but there's also like 50 50 athletes so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a big group (laughs) for sure yeah (laughs) wow um looking back on your swimming careers in general anything that you would change or do differently hmm (laughs) <laughs> it's a tough million question. dollar question. <laughs> I definitely. Oh, oh go, go, go Rev. Okay, <laughs> you're like, please. Go for it. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm really, I'm really grateful for all that I experienced from the coaching changes and, um, you know, the there was really nothing about that that I would want to change. If anything, my biggest thing um, is I now am vegan, and I would have loved to. Uh, to give that a shot a little bit earlier. I would have loved to have uh, experienced the training and the benefits of, you know, feeling, feeling better and recovering faster and cleaner. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have loved to do that. It never even crossed my mind beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, It was more of an after uh, retirement change, but that is probably the biggest thing. I know it would have been challenging with travel meets and whatnot, Mm -hmm. uh, not being in control of your food, but um, of all the things, that is probably the biggest thing I wish I could have uh, jumped on a little bit sooner. What was your diet like when you were training? 
it was definitely healthy, as clean as it could be, but I, I never really looked into nutrition all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew that, um, you know, it's an interesting thing for uh, female athletes, especially like college and after, because your body's already, you know, becoming more of a grown woman than Mm -hmm. an adolescent that can eat whatever they want and it just like disappears. Like when I was a kid, oh my gosh, the amount of food that I ate. But (laughs) when you get older, you're in your mid twenties now, like I swam until I was 25. So now I'm hungry all the time, but my body does not uh, acclimate that easily. So I definitely had to lean out what I was eating so that I wouldn't be gaining weight uh, despite all the training and whatnot. So I definitely ate clean. I loved, I always loved like the vegetables and the side dishes were what I would pie my plate with. But I just kind of did the traditional like a little bit of chicken or fish or whatever and just well balanced kind of thing. But um, I also loved the sweets and stuff like that too. So. <laughs> tried to be as clean as possible. I think as I was getting into the mid 20s, I just started to realize like, oh, certain food makes me feel like that. Mm-hmm. Dairy makes me feel like this. I get a little bit of a stomach ache after I eat it. So I started to to actually like tune into my body and start to make changes mm-hmm. uh, in that later part of my swimming career and just kind of move towards healthier and mm-hmm. uh, cleaner diet. Yeah. And it's so big now too, which is neat to right. see different, different athletes. Yeah. 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 And, and different things work for different people, which is yep. super cool. I would say for me, I didn't eat dairy. Uh, I was lactose. I found out actually end of high school-ish, mm-hmm. middle end of high school. So that was a blessing in disguise, I think, for me. Um, but I would say recovery. Mm. <laughs> I... I mean, grinded myself into the ground with my training and it's no fault of anyone's. Obviously our, my program that I trained at was extremely intense and it was a lot of volume mm-hmm. and I bought into it and I went for it. But, um, once, yeah, thinking back, it's just, it, it was a lot and I didn't really take proper recovery like I could have. And we had Sundays off, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't really doing anything on that day that could have been helpful for my body. Like I wasn't stretching. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I just would eat Chipotle and, you know, I mean, it wasn't like the best thing that I could have done. It's great, right? Cheat days, you enjoy it. But (laughs) I don't think that I honored my adrenals really that much. And when I did start to figure all of that out, it was senior year. And then the coaches were like, all right, she needs a lot of rest. So Mm -hmm. Even from the get-go, I was taking two days off a week fully. Um, And then that changed everything in my performance. Uh, So, yeah, and just, like, cherry juice Mm -hmm. and, you know, turmeric. And I was getting on all of those types of really natural things. And it was a game changer. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I still would wake up with night sweats and everything. But, like, there would be spans of time that I was all right with it. But uh, I think that I could have honored that a little bit better and probably eaten more nutrient-dense foods. Sometimes I felt like, I mean, I didn't eat dairy, whatever, but sometimes I just felt like I ate the dumbest stuff. All the, You know, it was just, yeah, it could have been available in college, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and we had training table where the athletes can go and get yeah. really nice, you know, you get meals and everything like that, which was such a blessing. But it wasn't anything that I really honored <laughs> that much, you know. It was like, oh, good, there's a box of wheat thins. Let me eat those. You know, and it was right. like, that's not, I could have had a sweet potato and 
you know, you don't really know as much. You just do what you're told. And so the knowledge that I gained from that, I think, would have been, I would have applied that a little bit more instead of ignoring it. But yeah, I would say recovery. And then mentally, I would say a little bit more self-confidence and belief. Uh, I knew that I had that like inner, I'm 100% doing this and this is going to happen in me. But I don't think, I think that I always had a lingering question of am I really supposed to be here and be Mm. doing this and so I think that if I would have worked a little bit more on that within myself that would have been a big game changer Uh, but I think that's most athletes to be honest always have a little bit I can relate with that yeah and you know it's exciting because then you can give back now right like Mm -hmm. with what you're doing with training with JF and everything it's like you see that and you see what that small bit of confidence does for people just even through feedback or Mm -hmm. through results and now it's a little more apparent so I would say those two things for sure that's amazing well it's so good to hear you guys talk about all those things because I feel like especially Mm -hmm. in the CrossFit world sometimes those things are neglected because it can be people love being in the gym they love doing the training but the importance of that recovery and the rest and what you're fueling your body with and all the things that you do outside the gym can have so much more of an impact. So it's good to hear it coming from Olympians too. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just it is us. so key. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, I really want to talk about the post Olympic period because I know that can be a really, really, you know, people might not expect it, but it can be a really difficult time um, after you've been training for something and putting all of your energy towards something. And then it finally culminates in that moment. And then, there's sort of this period of what next and, you know, what does this all mean? Um, so I was just wondering if you could talk maybe from each of your perspectives, what that period was like for you. And then, you know, knowing, you know, a lot of other Olympians or the other people that you interact with kind of in general, how you see that playing out. Yeah. Go for it, Reb. You want me to go first? Okay. <laughs> Unless you want me to, I'm on, I'm, I'm game. No, I'll jump in. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think we, we definitely had similar experiences, but I can say across the board from every athlete that I've spoken with, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, at the same time are kind of conflicted, like, oh, I just, you know, had this amazing experience and why am I feeling like, this is a challenge. I thought, I literally, when I won my first gold medal, I remember being on the podium thinking, like, or actually way before that, like, going into the race thinking, if only I can get the medal, I'll, like, I can't imagine ever not being happy again. I can't imagine a reason to, like, not feel totally fulfilled and, like, I did, you know, forever. (laughs) I thought it would be forever, which was such a silly thing to think, but, you know, then you come out of it and, and a little time goes by and it's like, whoa, I don't even know what my purpose of getting out of bed is today. Like, I just remember being so grateful to have my dog and being like, well, he needs to go outside to go to the bathroom, <laughs> so I should get out of bed. Otherwise, yeah. I, I remember, you know, talking to my mom on the phone and just like laying in bed like, I just, why should I get up today? Why, you know, like you lose so much of who you are and your routine and your structure and your training and your team and your, you know, coaches. And, and so it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And I just, my, the best piece of advice that I got from asking other Olympians who had gone through it 
and I was talking to Caroline a lot at that point too, it was uh, allow it to be hard. It's okay for it to be hard. You, I, I wasn't really that aware that this was such a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And so you go into it and you're like, why is it just me that feels this way? But allow it to be hard. It's supposed to be painful. Caroline gave me the advice of like, it's like breaking up with someone. Like you just broke up with swimming <laughs> and you are now like you have that hole. Yeah. It's okay to hurt it's okay to hurt so it's a challenge and the way that I uh, attempted to deal with it and move forward with it was to really I spent a lot of time just thinking about swimming and what happened and like I didn't feel special but here I am with six Olympic medals like I don't I don't know what I did to to deserve that and so I, I spent a lot of time kind of reflecting on what did I do well and what were the key components that made me a better uh, athlete than others or able to win uh, gold medals. And and a lot of it came back to these mental things that I had created over, you know, the 15 years that I was swimming without really realizing it. And uh, over that reflective period, I realized that these are the components that I need to now take out of swimming and put into the next phases, whatever those are. So things about being confident and knowing your path and having goals and stuff like that, that Mm -hmm. is very, you know, it's there and you built it in swimming, but you just have to realize that it's still there. You just have to put it into something else. And so, I mean, it's, it's certainly been a challenge and, uh, it's been five years for me and it still can be a challenge some days. And, uh, you know, Caroline and I are always talking about this and we're always, <laughs> you know, trying to understand like, who am I now that I'm not that Olympian and how do I balance being the Olympian and, you know, being that presence and the voice of the Olympian, but not letting that send me back into a place of my best is behind me and my mm-hmm. biggest glory is behind me because that automatically sends me back you know crawling under the sheets like hiding from the world you know it never feels good to have your best behind you you want to have your best in front of you so um, it certainly has been a long process and and interestingly enough a lot of those that reflective time and pulling out those tools and the mental elements and whatnot those were what inspired me um, to to start wanting to teach the young athletes this Mm -hmm. stuff to helping them understand that you're more than just your swimming because I felt like I was just my swimming and now that I don't have swimming then I'm literally nothing so uh, you know bringing those tools back into the younger generation that's when I started with the mentoring um, which eventually led to partnering with Caroline and creating Rise which Mm -hmm. is what we do now so it's it's all connected but um, it's also you know a big thing that we want to you know, create this community of Olympians to support each other because we're all going through it. And we all, you know, the more that we can connect like Caroline and I have, and, you know, we're talking about this every day and it just brings so much support and, you know, companionship to the process. Yeah. And she nailed it. Yeah, she nailed it. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, she finished, uh, I finished a little bit before her, um, end of 2010, I was like, all right, this is it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I went, I took a little break after 2008, uh, it was about January, and I was admittedly a mess during those six months, um, and a mess being just was, like, I hate swimming, I don't want anything to do with it, <laughs> I just want to get as far away from this world as possible, and 
hung out with all the gymnasts and <laughs> all my other friends at Florida because I was just so burnt out and I was so incredibly like a blend of nostalgia nostalgia and you know there was a blend of regret and happiness and sadness and it was all these weird emotions and I was like what is happening to me you know and then all of a sudden I was like I'm not done I'm gonna try again I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back I'm not done and this was so, your senior year of college or um, after I was finished it was after okay so in January I went, I moved out to LA and mm -hmm. I started training with a professional team out here that they began in Fullerton. So I lived with uh, one of my best friends, Katie, and we lived in Orange County and we would commute to Fullerton and train. And, you know, it was just, it was a weird time. It was a beautiful time, but it was a weird time. And mm -hmm. so when I finally finished, it was just so right. I'll never forget. It was, I was in Irvine and I got out of the 200 free and I was just, I just, I didn't have it anymore. I couldn't even think about doing free the next day. I couldn't even think about it. It was like, that's the last thing I want to do ever. <laughs> and for some reason, it was just this whole like bodily feeling took over. And it was like, you're worth so much more than this. And that wasn't to diss anybody that continues to do anything like that. It was just for me, I was like, you have so much more self-worth than what you think you do, which is only as a swimmer. And I had no idea how to start even exploring that. And mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, course I'm going to take the hardest path possible I'm going to do it so <laughs> so I retired quote unquote and I sat and cried in the warm down pool and Amanda Beard came up to me and gave me a hug and it was just like it was beautiful and so Aww. from then on it was it was a definite it, it was a struggle and I'm not even going to beat around the bush um I had a really tough time with this process I started clinging to things to have an identity. So I would just fill up my time with stuff, you know, whether it was random running races and road races and workout and just this and that. And I just kept going, 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 going instead of processing anything. And I eventually burnt out, hit the ground, face plant, <laughs> place foot into the ground, face first, and decided to move back home. And um, I got a house in Louisville and just Honestly, I went to counseling for two years <laughs> and I went through counseling and I dealt with a lot of just dark, dark spots that I didn't address at all that mm -hmm. I needed to address in my personal life and in my swimming life and everything. So I did that and uh, then I went to grad school for exactly this. So it ties back through. I wanted to help other athletes find and you know, identify who they are as people mm -hmm. because I thought that was a really important aspect to what an athlete or who an athlete is. And so I went to University of Tennessee and during that time I continued to honestly process it but distract myself still. I was avoiding it all. Mm -hmm. Um and so actually just this past year was when I'm finally like screw it. Like I'm just going to be the most vulnerable per person possible because this is life and you're never really going to know and really figure anything out, but it's just working toward that and understanding that, you know, as humans, you're going to have different things that you enjoy at different parts of your life and utilizing these things as platforms mm -hmm. and elements of enjoyment instead of like, this is all I am and mm -hmm. this is it. And so I think that perspective shift happened, but what, you know, eight years later, you know, seven years later. And so, 
you see it, it's like the, the carrot's dangling. You're like, <laughs> you're, you see it, but it's like it finally evolves and things happen. So it's definitely a process and it's a beautiful one once you can just own it and be like, you know, it's like Reb said, you know, it's a breakup. You just have to go through the stages of grieving. And most people sit there and say, what, what are you sad about? You went to the Olympics. You have medals. You have stuff. Right. Like, what's weird about that? Yeah, like, like, so okay. many people would love to have that. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I sit there and I say, I'm not ungrateful. I'm right. so grateful. I'm over the moon grateful. But it's a matter of what does that even mean? And when you're in those moments, it just flies by so fast. Mm-hmm. And you... Like Reb said, like, if you just get the medal and then you're done, you're good. You know, it's like you just keep looking to this next thing and these next things and these next things. You don't really appreciate it. And so you're grateful, but you don't know how to appreciate it. And when you can get past the point of just going through the whirlwind and actually processing it and let it sink in and sitting with the shit is like what I like to call it. Just sit with your shit for a minute is when you finally you understand that it's really important to develop yourself. So yeah, that's my <laughs> story. Wow. Uh, uh, and I just say all this because I think it's important. So, I mean, for whether it's for CrossFit athletes or people that have had a job for 15 years and then they don't ha- they don't work for that company anymore, it's a process that you mm-hmm. should be okay being not okay with at first. We all are scared of being vulnerable, and I think that that's it's an important process to do that and go through that. For sure, and I'm sure it will continue to evolve too. Like you know, through all the different phases of your life, you'll get, you'll have different perspectives on it. But I I also like to, the fact that now you guys are passing this on and I want to talk more about rise to, um, to the younger generation, but how that change in your focus and your purpose, um, can be really rejuvenating too. Like I know for me, one big adjustment just now, I mean, just starting residency four four months ago, um, it seems like finally I'm able to like focus my energy on helping other people, which is so mm-hmm. different when a lot of times training as an athlete or like going through school to get into like med school or grad school or whatever, you're doing so much focusing on yourself and your own performance. And a lot of times you have to be selfish with that, um, like reaching those goals and then finally being able to use all that experience to actually help other people, I think can be so so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, so how did, I mean, Rebecca, you kind of started talking about how you started using that to help mentor younger athletes, but how did you guys end up getting together and starting Rise? I know Caroline said you did your master's in sports psychology, and I know Rebecca has some um, training with positive psychology, which I'm super interested in too. Um, <laughs> but how did you guys get together and how was Rise born? Yeah, so I had been mentoring a little bit, and I kind of fell into that because I wanted to give back a little bit. Plus, you're fresh out of your career, so people are asking for lessons in clinics, and I did that for a little while, but I never really felt like I was giving them anything. You know, they're in, you do a clinic with a team, and it's a lot of fun for the kids, but uh, it's a lot of people, and I'm not a coach. I was a very internal swimmer, so I know how it feels, but not how it looks. So I can't, I'm not a coach. You know, coaches are fantastic and amazing. I do not know how to do that. (laughs) And I just kept getting asked to do that. And I've finally realized, well, I feel really unfulfilled doing it because I'm not giving any information or anything that's um, 
valuable, really, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like lasting value. And so I realized, you know, here's these mental components and how interesting and I was in the positive psychology course, which was, you know, such a connection to sports. It's amazing, like the way that we could use the ideas of positive psychology and really learn to build and develop a mindset Mm -hmm. instead of just, you know, take what you've been given. We're so used to Can you just explain what positive psychology is for people listening? Yeah, absolutely. So positive psychology is a branch of psychology, whereas, you know, traditional psych looks at what's wrong. Mm-hmm. This is the simplest way to describe it. You know, what's wrong? Here's here's the issue, right? Kind of delving into your past and what, and there's a lot of benefit in that as well. I've done some, you know, some work with that personally, and it's really helpful mm-hmm. uh, where the the other branch of positive psychology focuses on what's right. People that have done amazing things and done it right. What are the steps that they took to get there? So it's almost, you know, let's take apart this success and mm-hmm. see what the building blocks are and then follow those building blocks to lead to that direction uh, rather than just like what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. It's like what's right, what's right, what's right. So that's the very basic version of uh, describing it. But there's so much of that that we naturally do in in training. You know, we're we're setting the goals and moving that direction. But when it comes to mindset, mm-hmm. we just accept what is. <laughs> I, I know that mindset is certainly growing in popularity, and, and it's it's kind of like nutrition and a, you know, in training, even even some young kids really understand this more than they did when we were kids. But uh, you know, I just saw such a, a availability for this knowledge to pass on to the next generation, realizing that I was an athlete that relied on this without really knowing it. But I counted my confidence as a swimmer to be the main reason that I was able to to win the races that I won. I'm not mm-hmm. super tall. I'm not super strong. I I had very interesting technique, but I'm sure there were people who had better and stronger technique. So it, it there was you know, it played a big role in my career and my success. So why couldn't I help teach this to the next generation? So that's when I started uh, this mentorship. All of it was online based, which was really cool. Uh, Makes it very easy (laughs) to connect with people all around the world. You know, I've worked with kids in Dubai and in London, and it's just so cool. But uh Along the way, Caroline and I had been talking a lot, both about our personal experiences. I was reaching out to her for help a lot because she had retired a few years before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was honestly just trying to talk to everybody. <laughs> and, you know, we would be sending memos back and forth. And, and she was, you know, even when she was out here in Fullerton training and then not training, um, you know, we were always talking about this. And in the process of learning about positive psych and all these different things, and also at the same time, too, you know, I was getting into Pilates and more into yoga, so learning about different body movements and mm-hmm. and different ways I could have incorporated that into training as well. So there's just so much knowledge coming in. For the first time, I was re- really going out and, like, seeking knowledge, and there was so much coming in that you can't help, like, calling up your friend and be like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, it's so interesting and and uh, Caroline was one of those people that we regularly were talking and she was in grad school and then she was out of grad school and she was doing her, you know, mindset coaching stuff as well. And, and one day, you know, I was telling her about, about my ideas for Rise and, and at the point, at that time, it was just me, like, you know, working with three kids being like, oh, there's so much to do. <laughs> like, uh, that one day I was just like, you know, I, I need to grow this. I can't, I can't 
help every kid. There's no way. And there's so much power in the one-to-one versus Mm one-to-many that I really wanted to keep it one-to-one. Uh, and expand it out. And that's when I was like, I really think this could be a thing and I need help. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> and, um, you know, Caroline was doing very similar, just, uh, you know, why are we taking our two very similar, you know, minds and going in separate directions and like compare, not comparing, but like helping each other. But like, here's what you can do for yours. And here's what you can do for yours let's just combine, you know, Mm -hmm. let's take our, our efforts. And I remember I was so nervous to ask her (laughs) thinking about it for like a month and then two months. And I was like, I don't want it to sound, I don't know why, but I thought I didn't want it to sound rude or like, you know, I didn't want it to be like, come help me. But it was more like, I just wanted the combining of our minds and, and to create something bigger than my vision or her vision, but our visions together combining. Mm-hmm. So I finally asked her and I remember she was like, Oh my God. Yes. Nervous. I was so nervous. Um, yeah. So then, then she came on and we started scheming and, and, uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind since then. It's been it's been a fun process of you know it's we had so many ideas and a business plan and a path that we wanted to follow and every time we you know we laid a path out we kind of went in a different direction. Right, <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it goes. You know, <laughs> but, so that was in 2015 that we created the first official Rise Elite Athletes um, wow. bi- company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was <laughs> the coolest and, uh, experience. Yeah, years and and you know we're in the beginning it was about us Rebecca Caroline Olympians uh, mentorship and working with kids and it was always a vision to make it a lot bigger than us not mm-hmm. just in number but the whole idea of what Rise is like Rise is not Rebecca it's not Caroline but it's now a team of fifteen Olympians who it's all about you know giving back and and keeping on pursuing these you know, finer details of life that really make life worth living and make Mm -hmm. for a good life and, and, you know, pursuing that in our lives and connecting with our mentors who are all Olympians like ourselves and and helping them and them helping us. They give us so much energy and so much excitement and passion that, that comes from, you know, seeing them talk about Rise and seeing them talk about working with their athletes and the rewards that they get from it. Um, you know, and then of course the number of athletes that that we're able to bring into this and to share our knowledge with can grow as we get more mentors. So it's a it's it's finally crossed, I think, that threshold where it's no longer about us at all. We're just the ones that help make it happen for the you know, the Olympians that come in and, and want to work with these kids and share their knowledge in in their own way, but with the same foundations of, you know, building mindset, support, mentorship, that whole thing. It's amazing. So explain how it works from the kids' perspective and then from the perspective of the mentors. How our program works in general? Yeah. Well, the athletes, well, it's interesting because, as Reb said, it benefits both people, Mm -hmm. right? So you have the, the athletes that have these Olympians that they look up to that can mentor them and have this incredible relationship, big sister, big brother style that also can give them the truth and, you know, love and feedback and everything all at once. And then we get 
thrills out of doing that. But also, like she said, we have a community that you feel significant again. So the core is significance. And so I think from both perspectives, there's this feeling of significance and giving back. So the athletes come on to our program and then we pair them with a mentor through their surveys and kind of getting to know them. Mm -hmm. And there's a process behind that. And then we pair them with their Olympic mentor and then they get to know each other and acquainted and see if the fit is solid or not, or Mm -hmm. it's usually always solid. (laughs) Uh, actually, I think it's always been solid. And then, you know, you start the relationship from there. And every week you speak on Skype and we're now Zoom or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And it's just 30 minutes a week for 14 weeks. And then we take two weeks break because recovery, you know, mm-hmm. all about the recovery. Important. So it's just about the mental recovery as well. And then we start back up again. So we go through, according to that, to that athlete, what you know, they need and where meet them where they're at. So whether it's they've got performance pressure or they're feeling pressure from external people and sources or they're, uh, you know, have a ton of just blocks, mental blocks about their own ability or they don't understand how to set goals. They're not quite sure, you know, who to trust as far as like maybe they're getting so much feedback, like we can help them sift through that and Mm -hmm. understand like what's worth it and how to use it and direct themselves in the right direction. So it's definitely a really cool experience. And from the mentors, it's again, the significance piece and the give back. And Mm -hmm. then from the athletes, the feedback that we get and Reb is really good at collecting this, but it's always, 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 always they make me feel like I can do it, <laughs> you know, or they, and, and to them, to an athlete that's 14, 15 years old, they're a grasping the fact that they're in control of their own destiny, that they are going to feel the way that we're not doing anything for them, that we're just coming alongside them. But the fact that they say like, they make me feel that way yeah. is it's really rewarding for the mentors to feel like, Oh my gosh, you know, I can make a difference and give back in that aspect as well to that age group because it is a challenge mm-hmm. you have to change you know certain things in the way that you think about things too and simplify it which is good for us because sometimes we take things really complicated in our brains like positive psychology sports psychology you know all this stuff it's super complicated and then you can take it and simplify it and then all of a sudden something will click for me <laughs> you know right. I'm like, oh I learned something today you know <laughs> so I think again you know bringing it back around it's a mutually beneficial relationship that it's just a significance piece period like you feel that and when you feel that performance increases mm-hmm. and it's just the way that it usually happens so that's why I personally love it that's amazing and I think yeah. it's so what I think is super cool about it is well a lot of things but um <laughs> just being able to have a relationship with an Olympian like as a young athlete yeah. I think for such a long time, um, kids put Olympians up on this huge pedestal and it's like, they're like not real people, you know? And I think so many times like being able to interact with you and see that you're really a normal person. And like, if you're a normal person and I'm a normal person, then maybe I can do that too. (laughs) Um, which I think is really eye opening for people. And Mm -hmm. even like, I think of in CrossFit, the, um, Katrin, so she, yeah. you know, won two years, but previous to her was another Icelandic woman, Annie Thor's daughter. And Katrin talks yeah. about like her not really like believing or knowing that she could do it until she started training with Annie and becoming friends with her and realizing like she's a normal person. She has emotions. She has good days and bad days. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then it all of a sudden became very real for her that she could achieve that same goal. And then she did. So I think yeah. that is really powerful. But then also, like you said, for the Olympians to have that like significance and purpose and realize that, you know, their career isn't over after the Olympics and they have so much more to offer, um, totally. no matter what it is that they're doing. So it's really, really and amazing. I would like to say that a lot of athletes do come in nervous. It is scary. You know, you're talking to an Olympian and oh my gosh, and what I would have done at 14, 15, oh my God, like, am I worthy? You know, <laughs> and I, I think that it's, it is cool for them to see that we are normal people and we challenge our mentors to open up as well about their struggles or certain things that they've, you know, gone mm-hmm. through their days, even now or previous experiences going through and dealing with and handling and how they handled it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important is sharing experience, but mm-hmm. also that we instill in them that it's not about being an Olympian necessarily so that they understand, you know, we're speaking to an Olympian and that could be my goal. Like that's my life goal. And I, damn it, I'm going to do it, <laughs> you know, but that that's not the pressure, you know, that we want to give them. Mm-hmm. It's if they want to swim through college or, do gymnastics through college or play soccer in college, whatever it may be, that's the biggest goal that they would like to achieve, then let's do it. Like Mm -hmm. whatever you are, be a good one kind of thing. So I think that's the other thing that we enforce. It's just, it's not about being an Olympian. This isn't like holding, you know, any certain standard up there. God, you've got to do this or else, Mm -hmm. you know, anything like that. So I think that they're really feeling comfortable to just, learn from us and know that that's not the only thing that has to be achieved. It's Mm -hmm. just a result of the work that you put in both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and to rely, to piggyback off of that, one of my favorite feedbacks from an athlete after a season, you know, she was going on to college, so kind of moving on and, and, uh, but she came back and I asked her how her big competition, which was leading, you know, we were Mm -hmm. leading into that and how that went. And she was an athlete who got, who was so self-critical and so insanely hard on herself, uh, that, she came back out of her meet and she said, you know what? It wasn't as well of a performance as I wanted to, but I had so much fun. I was able to, you know, actually enjoy this for the first time ever. And I was just like beyond myself. I was like, wow, (laughs) you know, like that just makes it, that's so much more important to me than being the best Mm -hmm. or winning. Mm -hmm. So our program is absolutely not about that at all. (laughs) And, And, you know, I loved what Caroline said. It's like, just be the best of whatever you are, even if it's just human, like just Mm -hmm. be a good human, you know, that's hard. (laughs) It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, just helping people to understand what their identity is and who they are, you know, regardless of what it is that they're doing. I think that's so valuable that they can take with them no matter what they're doing in life. So it's amazing. Are there any common themes or like, big obstacles that you see or patterns that you see over and over again, um, in young kids that hold them back mentally. Negative self-talk is mine. It's, Which, it's not limited to, to kids. Myself. I mean, this is all people, but yeah, all people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, goodness, it's taught me so much too. I think, I don't know if I can speak specifically for reps, but I know a lot of my athletes will speak of themselves in a way that is 
it's hard to hear sometimes, you know, like, oh, I'm just such an idiot and I can't believe like I'm not this or like I'm not good enough at this or I'm not fit enough this way. You know, there's a lot of different pressures and I say this a lot, but social media nowadays either use it as a tool or it's something that the comparison levels are extremely high with that generation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're catching a different end of it, you know, versus like looking at, you know, from a 15, 16 year old girl's perspective. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's tough. Right. And even a boy, Mm -hmm. obviously, but, um, that's my biggest one is just the, the language Mm -hmm. that they speak to themselves with. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing to teach, but also the most important thing to teach because at first it feels like super awkward for them to give themselves affirmation statements and you can do it. You know, it's, it seems so cliche, but there is truth to the cliche. There is truth to what that is. And that's been my biggest observation is just the amount and the quality of the communication between their ears (laughs) and what's going on and how their, uh, perceptions are of themselves in general. So, and what techniques or what things do you work on with them? Or like, what could people like listening think about doing if they want to try and have more positive self-talk? A really simple one to begin with is just awareness and writing down all of the things that you say to yourself. And it's actually very Mm eye-opening. I still do it. (laughs) You can ask Rebecca. Rebecca and I correct each other's language all the time. (laughs) Because it's so true. You say something and then you're like, oh my God totally, absolutely, 100% just put myself in a position where I was saying something so negative to myself that didn't make any sense at all. And Mm -hmm. so becoming aware of it, writing it down, looking at them all, it can be, it's a little jarring. You're like, God, now what do I do? Right. And Mm -hmm. so you write them down. I like to call that brain dumping. And then I have my athletes dispose of them. So whether it's ripping them up and tossing them away, I don't recommend them burning it, but for a mature audience, if you'd like to burn your <laughs> negative thoughts, that's very helpful. Um, you know, it's just, again, it's, it's recognizing the, where it begins, the awareness and the triggers too, like what triggers you to, to say those certain things to yourself. And then mm-hmm. a form of releasing it, which physically releasing it in some way is a very helpful tool to use, but the key is consistency. It's not just mm-hmm. like a one-time thing where you're like, I'm good. I told myself I was this, 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 and I ripped it up and I threw it down the toilet and I'm golden. Like there's not a one quick fix to any of this. It is a daily practice and it's It's like training. Yeah. Yeah. You got to train it, you know, repeatedly. (laughs) You can't do your abs once, you know, it's a regular practice that you bring into your life. That's why we call it mindset training sometimes, you know, you bring girls. You can, sorry to interrupt, I just thought of this because you reminded me, Rev, with girls, you can take like bobby pins, put them in one pocket and it's like a, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. So they know that they're doing it every day. And then every time they think a thought, they move it to the other pocket and they realize how quickly or paper clips or whatever you want, how quickly yeah. that practice is like, oh my gosh, like I just did this and it lasted an hour of how many times I've told myself this. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, like she said, it's this mindset shift, um, Anyway, that was an aside, but that was another way of thinking about it is, is it's, if it's a physical practice, then they can relate better. Yeah. And that's yeah. hard. Like taking your bobby pins out of your pocket, that's, it's not like an easy thing. It's a challenge. Yeah. 
Yeah, you don't want to have to do that fun. a lot. <laughs> There's so many fun exercises that can, you know, essentially we're just trying to remind ourselves mm-hmm. and whether it's bobby pins, whether it's a rubber band on your wrist and every time you see it or a note on your water bottle, there's so many different things you can do, but it's all about that awareness that Caroline mentioned and noticing, like notice your focus. I say that a million times to my kids, notice your focus, notice your focus, because once you notice it, you notice that you're treating yourself terribly, you're naturally going to change. So noticing is the hardest part and change starts to happen the moment that you notice because, um, Another great one that I'd like to talk about is, is, you know, how do you treat your best friend, you're supportive, Mm -hmm. you're there for them, you, you know, give them positive feedback and and tell them when they need to improve, but also support them, love them, all that. And then, you know, how do you speak to yourself? You Mm -hmm. put yourself down, you hate on yourself, you tell yourself you suck, you tell yourself (laughs) that you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not tall enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough to race this person, and it's always not enough. And would you ever speak to your friend like that, or your your Mm -hmm. parent, or your your kid? Imagine, Mm -hmm. like, how would you Mm -hmm. want to treat your kid to support them, and love, and nourish them, and you know, that's how we should be treating ourselves. But uh, it's a challenge. And it comes with regular observation. So just noticing is the biggest thing. Writing it down helps a lot. And then to carry it on, you just constantly try to notice those thoughts. And there are definitely, even now, you know, we're, we're both in our 30s. And we're still both like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, say that. It's uh, insane that I'm allowing myself to talk to, you know, to my inner child if you will that way like I can't imagine saying that out loud what I just said in my head so um it's it's something that everybody can can use and work on and improve on and constantly it's a fun practice that I bring into my life every day every day I remember you know most for most of my life I remember every morning waking up with that like oh what did I do bad yesterday? Did I eat poorly? Did I not exercise enough? Uh, how just like immediate bombarding of not enoughness of, you know, waking up immediately. And that's the thoughts that fill my head. And I just woke up one day and I was like, I can't wake up like this anymore. This is just setting my day up miserably. And I just Mm -hmm. hated that feeling. And it's pretty cool now that I don't wake up like that anymore. It's just like, you know, you move towards the positive and it's cool to see that that actually has changed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are so many signs that the work that we're doing does create change and does actually, you know, create these results that we say that they do. (laughs) Yeah. So that goes back to, oh, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) I was just going to say for Rebecca, does that, um, was that something that just happened as a result of you working on and being more aware of your mindset during the day? Or did you have like a morning practice that you used to try to break that habit? Yeah, it was both. It was okay. both. Because a lot of times that happens when you wake up before you even are consciously right. thinking. So it just happens. And then you're like, oh, that really <laughs> felt terrible. Like I feel like I yeah. just want to stay in bed now. But so it, it slowly started to just remember that, oh, let me practice. So then I it was kind of like, let me just kind of flip everything I just said and kind of not get up until that. And mm-hmm. just, you know, a practice. But a lot of it did also happen naturally as a result of just observation throughout the day and the positive psychology exercises that I was doing. And, you know, going back to the mentorship process, it's just constant reminder, constant reminder. And there's <laughs> so many days that Caroline and I are like, we teach our kids this. Why? <laughs> 
like, you know, like, so true. I, you know, I should know by now, but it's being able to step into that mentorship role is a constant reminder and it's helped so much. And there's so many times where I leave the, the athlete to work on an exercise or a thought exercise throughout the week or journaling exercise or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do that with you because I, I see so much value in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the times they get what I need. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. It works both ways. It so, works yeah. both ways. So it's good. It's very fun. And, you know, our culture, we complicate everything. I know I complicate everything 90% of the time. You know, and you want to simplify it, but no one is quite sure how. And they almost make things harder to simplify Mm -hmm. than they need to be. And so it's easy to, like, roll your eyes when you think about, like, like write down my thoughts and rip them up, I guess. You know, or, or, (laughs) like, I'm just going to become aware of them and, like, you know. But then I need to think deeper. I need to think deeper and I need to think deeper. And sometimes it, it is just allowing them to just be there, like Reb said, and, and then realizing how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. but there's, it's easy to overcomplicate. It's yeah. so easy to overcomplicate things and to want to think deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's all great and everything, but it does come back to the simplicity of it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like in CrossFit or in any other sport or whatever, like, you know, they'll say, oh, it always ends up coming back to the blank. You know, it always ends up coming back to the dumbbell or it always ends up coming back to the most simple thing that you right. can do that does create the most lasting change. And so that's something that I'm currently practicing with myself and with my athletes is let's just keep it simple. Like we can overcomplicate it and you know, gather all the all the stuff you need, and then sift through what really is important in that moment. And mm-hmm. it that part is also eye opening. <laughs> Speaking of eye opening, you're like, oh, <laughs> not that much that I need to think about, other than just like these core things um, that I can make a change for. Yeah, I think it's important to note as well that, you know, we're not looking for or working towards like perfection mm-hmm. or, oh, I'm never going to have negative thoughts again or I'm never going right. to have these, you know, bad things come into my head or compare myself to others. But the it, the journey that I've experienced is it's gone more from self like insane self-criticism and negative stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the same thoughts coming in, but now it's more, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, Mm -hmm. that's so cool how my mind just did that. Let me Mm -hmm. see if I can change it. And it takes the extra, like the, the emotional burden off of it to where you're still, you know, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to go through hard experiences. You're still going to have challenges, but life would be boring without them. Right. It's more of just helping these young athletes and ourselves as well like create that inner peace if you will mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to go through the challenges of life and to take it as a, oh that's interesting yeah like oh I just felt a surge of anger when that person cut me off on the road and oh that's interesting mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's Instead of a intense <laughs> reaction, you know, just kind of keeping that reaction uh, more more zen like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, yeah, growth mindset, right? <laughs> just like keep growing, keep growing, and keep understanding that that's part of part of it. Is there's no perfection? It's always a process. Mm-hmm. We always say everyone wants to get there, quote unquote. Well, I'm not really sure. I 
someone let me know where there is because I, right. I don't know if it, you know, you can have goals that you're going to reach, of course, and you have things that you want to achieve, but nine times out of 10, you get to that goal and you're already like, all right, cool. Celebrate. Now what? Mm-hmm. There's always, that's human nature. It's like, okay, so do I like keep celebrating this or do I like me to look for something else or, oh gosh, that wasn't enough. I need to do something else. You know, there's always those thoughts that come in. And so creating, like Reb said, that inner peace and just understanding that it is, you're going to grow constantly mm-hmm. throughout your life. It is not, there's not just like a get there. It's perfect. You're done. There, that doesn't exist. And if it does, someone needs to tell me how to, get, how to do that because I, I have yet to uh, hear that. So that and just accepting that and knowing that, and I think that's a big part of what we also instill in our athletes and our mentors, for that matter. Our mentors, same thing, you mm-hmm. know, training them and working with them. It's a really cool thing to experience together as a team. That's amazing. Well, I love what you guys are doing. I'm going to try that bobby pin trick. <laughs> Um, I have to probably put a lot of bobby pins in my pocket. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. You need to go, yeah, go stock up. I, I need to do the same. Only for my rat tails, but just keep, like, yeah. you know, yeah, keep coming out of my hair. Swimmer problem. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to talk a little bit about CrossFit because I know, Caroline, you've done some CrossFit and you've seen it. There's some swimming in CrossFit, which I'm really interested to hear your perspective on what it's like to watch that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know, Rebecca, if you've done any or kind of what your, Caroline, like how you got, how you started it, what your sort of perspective is on CrossFit in general. And then maybe we can talk about the swimming a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. So I started CrossFit, I don't want to say... Uh, 2014, maybe 13. Yeah. 14. Uh, so a little bit later, I did a lot of like some hit style stuff, a lot of running, a lot of everything like that prior to that. And just gen- general lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love what it does for a community. I think it builds a massive community. And mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part is the team atmosphere. People feeling like they're included in a group effort, an individual effort. Uh, They see progress. They have accountability. It's honestly, it's a beautiful community and it's the fastest growing community I've ever seen uh, from that moment too as well. So I think that's phenomenal. And I get really competitive at CrossFit. (laughs) I did. And so I had to dial it back a little bit. I was doing a little bit too much and now I'm focusing on the strength and Mm -hmm. doing a lot of functional training and um, it, it's a phenomenal tool for a lot of people. It's interesting how swimming has grown in the games. It's yeah. so cool to see it. I think it's honestly, it's awesome. I mean, this year there's, you know, motocross or whatever. Right. <laughs> like, you can get a little bit of now, anything. Like, yeah, you really do. It's, it's interesting, but I think that it's a, it's going to grow quickly. And I, I've seen a lot of my friends, you know, Jen and all Mm -hmm. them doing swim workouts and everything lately. And it honestly, it pumps me up because I think it's pretty neat that they're understanding how the body works in a medium, Mm -hmm. which is water and horizontally and being able to use their body in that way versus on land, pushing and lifting and pulling Mm -hmm. and transferring that to the water. I think it's going to really help a lot of athletes in the CrossFit games. Like just when I watch it now, it's, it's more or less like 
they're starting to understand the whole technical side of it and the ability to have it recover their bodies from Mm -hmm. land on the gym. So just being able to use it for both things is going to be huge. That's Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting because, and I, I, that's good to know that you hear people are starting to appreciate the technical side of it because just, I think 2011 was the first year that they had swimming in the games and we swam at, I think it was at Santa Monica Pier. I'm pretty sure that year, maybe that was a different year, but yeah, anyways, yeah, like (laughs) literally this is how crazy it was. Like there had never been swimming. So people weren't really doing a lot of swimming to train. I had only swam in the ocean like once before in my life and like never swam growing up. Um, like I hated, like I started gymnastics so I could get out of swimming lessons because they were at the same time. And so then my mom like wouldn't make me go to swimming anymore. (laughs) And so I like never was a good swimmer. And then luckily in college, I had a friend who was like big into swimming, who swam in high school. And I was like, oh, I think I want to do a triathlon. So she like at least got me to the point where I could like do laps in a pool. Like more, like the first time I swam with her, I think I could do maybe four laps and then I was done. (laughs) Um, but that's the level of swimming that I was at. And I won that event in 2011, which like, I think just goes to show like how little we experience we had and knew about swimming and Mm. even more swimming in the ocean. Um, and now it's such a regular part of people's training. Like I don't know any games athletes who are swimming less than once a week, you know, at the bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember talking to you about it. I was like, I want to make programs and plans for you guys because this is exciting. I, I think that it's cool to see people use it as a way to train as well and then also, like I said, a way to recover. But I think understanding, like I said, the ability to transfer what you do on land to the water and vice versa, it's kind of crazy. I mean, even I think about it sometimes, Reb, when we're swimming in the ocean, I'm like, Oh, you know, push pull, like what kind of motion is this? Because like, you pay attention to different parts of your body that are imbalanced mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, whether it's like left QL, I'm like my left QL. I'm not, like, I'll start thinking about it too much because then you think about what am I doing on land? That's the same movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I utilize them in the same way? And so it's interesting too. something that we used to do in swim training and Reb did this as well, or something called buckets. And we would, they fill up a pulley system, you know, a bucket on the side of the pool and you fill it up with like rocks or water or whatever. And then you strap a belt around you and you swim resistance swimming training against this bucket and you can do different weights and everything and and sprints and long distance or put a snorkel on and literally just swim with this resistance. And it was probably the most beneficial thing for a freestyle, for freestyle events that was huge. Um, and just doing interval training with that kind of stuff because you get this land meets water thing. And if you are a natural athlete on land, that's a really good way to transfer that to the water and vice versa so that you have that ability to do the same thing. So I think it's, it's growing, it's getting really, really interesting and really cool. And now there's a lot of training underwater that goes on between like, you know, Gabby and Laird's up in Malibu and, you know, XPC. And then you have the Fido Fit does something now where they do a bunch of underwater kettlebell training and everything like that, because water displacement just does a whole number, beautiful number on your body when you don't have impact, if you need that for injuries and whatnot. But I will say this, if anybody has any injuries, get your butt in the water because that is the best <laughs> thing that you can possibly do um, unless it's like a serious shoulder injury or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
That's true. But, I guess that was my only experience swimming in high school when I broke my foot and I couldn't like run track. So then I spent a lot of time in the pool, but, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it's amazing for injuries. Are yeah. there things that you would recommend? Like say there are people listening who are doing CrossFit and they want to add some swimming into their training or people who are more competitive, like where do you start? Like yeah. how do you start to implement that into your, like a regular practice? Yeah, I think something to remember is that to go and just get into a pool or to jump into the ocean and to just be in it at first is everything. So to just allow yourself to get into that medium and understand how your body works is really, really key. Uh, My biggest thing is don't fight the water. Like allow the water to carry you a little bit because a lot of land athletes will battle the water and try and muscle their way through the water. And if you Mm -hmm. think of it, swimming is almost like yoga in the water. It's all breath control. It's all fluid motions and just really understanding how your body works together. You know, the opposites and, and every opposite arm, opposite leg, like you're really understanding the way your body works. And so to allow yourself time to do that before you like dive into any crazy sets or anything like that, because I'm sure everyone can swim and is really wonderful, you know, right when they get in, of course, but just even it's like being on land, right? Like don't jump into the weight room, grab the barbell, load up the bar, you know, with mm-hmm. a bunch of weight. It's like do some warm up reps, <laughs> like allow yourself mm-hmm. to get acquainted with the material that you're using and what you're, what medium you're in. And so, and then after that, I would just suggest instead of just diving in and swimming a mile straight or whatever, just at a certain, I mean, obviously that's a good thing for aerobic capacity and just, you know, cruising and, you know, relaxing. Mm-hmm. But if they're trying to train, to view it as a track workout. So a lot of athletes will do track workouts, right? Or CrossFit athletes too, doing like sprints and quick mm-hmm. stuff. You know, four 100s, 10, you know, 100s, four 200s, eight twos, or whatever it may be with rest in between. Mm-hmm. Same thing in the pool. It's the same thing. And so if you can transfer that you know, understanding of interval training and everything like that to the pool. Mm -hmm. It's the same essential concept, you know, it's the same concept essentially. So you've got the interval training that will help a lot according to what their needs are in their season as well. So just, you know, segmenting that out a little bit so that you're not just diving in and flopping around and swimming, but really being specific with the interval training. Mm -hmm. I love it. This is making me want to swim. I haven't swam in a while. <laughs> also, we'll send you some sets. Like yeah. Some basic, yeah. I mean, I think I've got some saved <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. I'll find them. Uh, so what are you guys doing now for your own exercise or training or general movement practice? Reb, go for it. Okay, I, I've, I've been through so many different things post-swimming. I mm-hmm. uh, went through a bit of 
not going near a pool or <laughs> no <laughs> capping goggles for a couple of years. And then I started to get back into ocean swimming. So that's really amazing that we both live near the ocean and near each other. So we can meet up and go out and swim or we have a group that we go to on the weekends and just allowing it to not be, uh, not have to be a really long strenuous workout mm-hmm. in order to get the benefits of it. Sometimes it's just 20 minutes if that. <laughs> Um, aside from that, I, I really love yoga. I'm big into yoga. Um, I would love to be a runner and I keep trying, but <laughs> I think I need to do a very slow acclimation of my body to running, uh, from going from a swimmer and also breaststroker where we kind of turn our knees internally mm-hmm. and that doesn't really work well once you're upright on land. So <laughs> I'm currently nursing a knee injury, but uh, I would love to get back to being able to run soon. But for now I'm just sticking to yoga and, uh, um, I have pretty limited experience in a weight room I have done CrossFit before I love the community aspect of it but I've never really been a big weights person in Mm -hmm. general so um, I definitely see it but uh, I haven't really gotten into it I see the benefits but haven't really jumped in Um, and right now honestly with the injury and you know being forced to rest a little bit more than I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I've really realized a lot of how much, you know, back to the identity stuff of going from Olympian to uh, just everyday life and how much I was still relying on the physical workout to be my outlet of, okay, well now I've accomplished something today Mm -hmm. to the point where in the beginning I was working out three times a day after I retired Mm -hmm. and Uh, here we are trying to, you know, build a business and do this kind of work, but I don't find any fulfillment from, you know, working really hard at the computer all day. (laughs) Whereas it's like, okay, well, let me go, you know, to this boxing class and then I'll feel okay. So right now I'm in a phase of just being okay with where I'm at Mm -hmm. and not, you know, I spent so much time trying to force my body and I really love strenuous workouts I love it it feels so good but right now I'm just in a phase of just take it as it goes and uh, try new things and and you know I've been doing the same thing for a long time so this morning I just did a beach workout I took my TRX down there I did a little bit it was not very hard I was not sweating (laughs) (laughs) now I've been jumping the ocean and it's like now I feel I feel really good with that even though it wasn't the hardest workout ever so kind of light lightweight stuff for me (laughs) just little things and and really falling back into yoga which I've done for years and Mm -hmm. I took a little time off with it and now I'm just starting to get back with it and you know, I really love that both from flexibility, but also from, you know, the mind quietness that mm-hmm. comes with that time to just breathe. And, you know, I, I love the physical challenge that comes with the harder classes as well and the harder poses and still trying to master that handstand, but <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's a lot better than I am. <laughs> Brad masters the handstand, that's for sure. <laughs> It's just, yeah, so I find the challenge with that as well. And then balancing that with, you know, just being okay with that and finding more fulfillment in the work that we do and, and, you know, just enjoying the day and not trying to say, oh, you need to do more and more and more. Just like, I'm good. Yeah. 
That's and that's a trap that is definitely when I was speaking about distractions earlier. That's that's Huge. for sure one of them that we both went through and seeing that as the only way to feel worthy and, and important, right? Mm-hmm. And so shifting that from instead of thinking of it that way to this is something that I enjoy doing. And if it's like Reb said, 15 minutes where I can just either go swim or go do this or that or the other, that's enough. And I think what is important to remember is we've been taxing our bodies for, you know, when we finished, when we retired, yeah, what, 16, 17 years, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever, however long. And that uh, from a young female perspective doing that, it's, it takes a toll. And so learning to understand, slow down, listen to your body and everything. It's a a huge realization of mine this past summer as well. Uh, I had the same situation as Rebecca. I definitely went all in and did all these things. And I don't regret a single moment of it because it's like Ragnar's here and this, you know, all these like (laughs) awesome races because that was just like what I needed, you know, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to relive this feeling. And nothing would quote unquote ever feel like I felt when I was on top of the world and, mm-hmm. you know, literally, literally and figuratively and all of these things. So I kept trying to recreate that. And so right now I, I feel like I'm in a really good place with what I'm doing. And it's the first time I can really honestly say that, uh, I broke my heel in, uh, well, May, April, end of April, Okay. Ish. I didn't really know until the end of May that mm. <laughs> uh, that's what it was. And so I learned from sitting on my butt for almost six months that, and just swimming and literally just doing everything arms, mm-hmm. like, and not, and everything meaning 20 minutes a day uh, <laughs> exercise for a really long time that it was the first time in my life that my adrenals repaired, that I would wake up in the middle of the night not sweating. It took like two months to get to that point. But all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like, but then you go through this whole, like, like everything slams you in the face. Like everything hits you. Like Mm -hmm. all of this stuff that was just like, this is everything that I've been doing to feel worthy has just completely stopped. And now it's smacking me in the face. And so it's like, you're exhausted. And and realizing that that's what finally caught up <laughs> to me, it was just like, all right, the train has slowed and now just sit in it for a minute and understand that what you're doing is enough and that it's more or less something that you actually enjoy having as 3% of your day, mm-hmm. <laughs> like one hour of your day, mm-hmm. that's your enjoyment and no matter what that is, if it's a walk, and now I get thrills out of going on a walk, I'm like, yes, <laughs> walk, it's like the best thing in the world, and, and I'm not putting any of that down, or putting training or anything down, it's just that from our perspective of really going super hard, and taxing your body to the max mm-hmm. for 20 years of your life, it's just like so beautiful to now have three days a week that you do, I don't do CrossFit anymore, I actually, I train at a gym called Allegiate and I just go two to three times a week and it's mm-hmm. like very slow, specific strength or like assault bike and med ball, mm-hmm. like everything very dynamic and we warm up a good amount and it's, it's just what my body needs to be totally honest. Cause I, um, really do enjoy the weight room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I actually do enjoy it. I think I have a little bit of that in me, like a little inner meathead of that sort. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, like two to three times a week is fine. Like every day is way too much for me. 
And then on the other side of the coin, I could do, you know, as Rebecca said, yoga, solo hikes, walks, swim in the ocean. Like I enjoy just doing those things to the max where I can just zone out Mm -hmm. and I don't have to talk to anybody or be in a team environment at all. And Mm -hmm. I can just do my thing. And so it's both sides of it. And having that balance of both is really key in life now for me uh, in particular. So long winded way of answering your question, a little bit of everything, but making (laughs) good plan and a smart plan so that you're not overtraining and one rest day every week. (laughs) (laughs) on what day I mean sometimes it's like every 10 days sometimes it's every three days sometimes it's a whole week straight of rest which I recently just did for like two weeks <laughs> I was like oh I moved 10 feet today this is exciting there so you, go. <laughs> um, I, you know it's that's the way it is so I mean you know it's just you gotta accept it mm-hmm. and own it that's so. amazing and I can I can appreciate that and I think it's so for anyone who's been an athlete or um, been sort of in that competition mindset, it's, it is a big transition to go from like having that mindset where I have to get this done, or this is like such an important part of my day to using that as more of a recovery piece or a way that, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what I am doing to like give my body what it needs or to feel happy. And, um, and so that's such, I'm, I'm going through that same transition myself and it's difficult, but, um, I think, so important to realize that it's still valuable. You don't have to be like killing yourself every day for it not to be valuable time spent. Um, mm-hmm. Just being active. Yeah, Definitely. I think I was I was thinking of a, the other day. I said something and it kind of made me giggle. I was like, you know, sometimes you have to hibernate before you recalibrate. It's so <laughs> true. You really do have to just hibernate and be all right with just saying no. Yeah. to things and it doesn't mean that you're not succeeding in something it just means that you're actually sitting in the work that you have done and that you have put in um and understanding that it is a mental thing to release adrenaline and endorphins and or have adrenaline release endorphins it is it's mental for sure physical I mean mm-hmm. it's science uh but if you find a way to somehow do that, even if it's a exhilarating conversation with somebody <laughs> and thinking of things that way, then it does help. I mean, it does. I know it helped me go through an injury and, um, you know, just whatever that day can be fulfilling and rewarding for you is steps and leaps and bounds above what a majority of the population would see. So absolutely. Well, on that note, I want to wrap up with three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So the first one is three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Mm. <laughs> they can be, you can share some of them. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's an overlap. Yeah, I'll start with drink a lot of water. Ooh, I like it. As Caroline's drinking her water. Yeah, right. <laughs> Drink a lot of water. It's a good one. Um, I mean, with the theme of rest, I certainly give myself the time to get seven or eight hours of sleep every day to unwind before bed. Uh, getting that daily has really created nice balance in my life. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you like to do to unwind? Um, well, I mean, I have my, in my bedroom where I don't have no TV, um, 
when I'm, you know, laying in bed, I try to do no phone or just reading. I've been trying to get more into reading. Mm-hmm. It usually just makes me fall asleep. But <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, So, and I pretty much every night take a nice little shower before bed. That's mm-hmm. my unwinding time. Um, I mean, I have a whole routine from walking the dog to, mm-hmm. you know, getting the house all ready for bed. So, yeah, I think routines are huge when it comes to getting your body into a state of letting go and resting. And, you know, when I hear people say, oh, I can't sleep or so restless, it's like, well, you're just jumping from your busy day right into bed. Of course, mm-hmm. you, of course yeah. you can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so true. Um, yeah, similar. Reb's teaching me how to drink water, but... <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> uh, I'm doing better. She's really good with it. I would say one of the things that I always, 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 always take very seriously in my day is my morning routine. Okay. <laughs> and so I, whether it's like baking protein muffins or <laughs> catching up on some, you know, current events or something that helps me feel like I can frame my day well, or even exercise. So usually try and get whatever movement I'm doing done in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, about five, five out of seven days. The other days I like to sleep in quote unquote mm-hmm. to repair the adrenals. Um, I have been on a writing kick, but I don't like writing sentences. So <laughs> I just bullet point everything. And yeah. that is something that is one thing I literally cannot live without in my day. And then Third, water, some form of being in water or what like submerging into water or like six showers a day. Mm-hmm. That's an exaggeration, like <laughs> two. Uh, honestly, I can't, I, I can't not. <laughs> it's, like, it's my happy place, baths, ocean, pool, shower, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. There's water touching my body at all every single day of my life. And if, <laughs> If I'm on an airplane, then that's a problem. But um, yeah, so those are those are the things, as simple as they are. <laughs> I love it. Rebecca, did you give us the third one? I can't remember. If I didn't, did no. Okay. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, I have two pets. I have a dog and a cat, okay. and they definitely <laughs> play a big part of my yeah. life. So I really, you know, I have to take the dog out. We don't have a yard. So um, just taking that time to actually, you know, leave the phone at home and just, I mean, it's so nice when I've been working all morning at the computer and it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. dog needs to go out, which yeah. really means Reb needs to take a little breather. Yeah. <laughs> getting outside, outside in the sunshine and, and, you know, just kind of breathing and just being okay with waiting for him to pee on every bush. And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so I, I mean, that's something that's an everyday, obviously it has to be, I have to take care of them. They rely on me, but, um, it's something that used to be a chore, like a hassle. Oh, I have to go home and take them out and, you know, I have to, have to, and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking that, turning that into, uh, I choose to, and I enjoy to Mm -hmm. do these. Bless you. It's been a a good thing that helps me. It's also a good time to notice like am I bringing my phone do I feel like I have to do a million things and like hurry 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 Mm -hmm. then it's like whoa you know you need to get a few things lined up and then restart your day yeah (laughs) that's that's definitely a good one I love it awesome well thank you guys both so much for taking the time this has been awesome and I can't wait to share it with all the listeners and 
Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. For sure. <laughs> and if anyone has any questions for Reb or I, we're wide open over here. Yeah, where can people... <laughs> On swimming stuff or whatever. <laughs> I'll include yeah. um, links to all of your websites, but where can people find you, like find Rise and find you guys? Yeah, I have, Rise Athletes is the name of the uh, program and the company. So on Instagram, we're at Rise Athletes. And uh, on for my personal side, I'm at Reb Sony. That's R E B Sony on I think all accounts. And yeah, I'm at Carol Burkle, uh, B U R C K L E. So, and of course, Rise Athletes Instagram, Facebook. We don't really tweet, but Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's those are the platforms. And yeah, we have a blast with them. It's fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, check them out. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed and learned as much from Caroline and Reb as I did. They're both incredible athletes and people, and I'm so excited about what they're doing for the next generation. You might have noticed that I forgot to ask them the last two of my usual three questions at the end of this episode, but have no fear. They both answered these questions for me offline, and to read your answers, all you have to do is subscribe to receive my newsletter at juliefouché.com. You'll get a brand new podcast episode delivered to your inbox every other week. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com, and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by Thrive Market. If you haven't heard of Thrive Market yet, they sell top organic and healthy products online at 25 to 50% off, shipped straight to your doorstep. So as a sponsor of this episode of the podcast, they're providing an amazing offer to all Pursuing Health listeners. You can head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH and there you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase as well as free shipping and a free 30-day trial. So why do I love Thrive Market so much? You probably know my husband Danny and I have been living a very chaotic lifestyle for the past several years from medical school to now residency training and training for the CrossFit Games in there as well. We didn't have a lot of time for grocery shopping every week or meal prep. And so using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items, things like nut butters, cooking oils, snack bars, dressings, even coffee and tea. And we know that when we're ordering through Thrive Market, they're coming. these products are coming from a curated list that we know we can trust. So whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices that are 25 to 50% below what you would find in the grocery store. And even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or the hassle of grocery shopping. I also love that Thrive Market demonstrates a big commitment to giving back. So for everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. 
Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because Thrive Market has been such a huge lifesaver in my own life, I wanted to share the benefits with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So as I mentioned before, you can head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to receive 25% off your first purchase and free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So I hope you take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, that website is thrivemarket.com forward slash PH. You can head there to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and also help make a healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by Mobility Wad. Do you struggle to get into good positions in your training and workouts? Are your movement compensations causing you undue pain and grief? MWOD's belief is that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. For nearly 10 years, Mobility Wad has been the go-to for the world's best athletes and teams. Do you know what hundreds of Olympic and world-class athletes, professional teams in the NFL, MLB, basketball, hockey, rugby, and soccer, and dozens of universities all have in common? They use Mobility Wad to train and compete at their best. I first took Dr. Kelly Surratt's movement and mobility course in 2013, and since then have read his books and followed his videos for ideas on how to address my own movement restrictions. But sometimes having all this information can become overwhelming, which is why I think the real genius is in the MWOD subscription. As part of this subscription, you have access to not only hundreds of hours of video content that can be filtered based on your specific questions, but also a daily 10-minute mobility WOD video. You just log in and follow Kelly's instructions as if he is there coaching you in person for 10 minutes per day. You may pick up certain exercises that you wish to incorporate on a regular basis before or after your workouts. But at the very least, by following this daily program, you know you are addressing a wide range of movement patterns and body parts on a regular basis without having to think about it. I often do these sessions first thing in the morning or before bed as a way to wind down from the day. In addition, you have access to an on-ramp sequence and a 14-day mobility challenge that helps you understand the basics and identify the areas you personally need to focus on. You can lean on the MWOD community and discussion boards to learn from others who have been through similar situations or injuries. And if you need more personalized help, you can use the MWOD list to find a like-minded practitioner in your area. It's easy to become part of the Mobility Wad community, but for being a Pursuing Health listener, you can receive 20% off an annual membership with code Julie Fouché. That's J-U-L-I-E-F-O-U-C-H-E-R. Just visit www.mobilitywad.com. Full potential, full power. 